Kindred Church is a Christian community gathering in Reno, Nevada. We employ a dialogical teaching style, but for the sake of privacy, we remove the participants' responses from the recording. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we'd love to have you join us in person or online. For more information about the church and for our service time, location, and virtual gathering options, visit kindredchurchreno.com. I'm Laurel Toft, one of the pastors here. I'm nervous but excited to have a conversation today about money and systems of power and injustice. Just some nice light topics for your Sunday morning here, um, but I think important things for us to talk about as a church and in church. I want to give a disclaimer. I'm going to have several disclaimers while we talk about this because these are sensitive and difficult uh, topics. Um, and I, so I have to start with acknowledging that when we're talking about wealth or money, systems of power, that I am a white, cisgender, hetero woman, doctor living in the United States. So I'm basically speaking about all of this from a place of great privilege. Um, so that gives me some trepidation, but it's important to just acknowledge that I have benefited from these unfair systems that we're going to talk about today, but I think still important to have these conversations. And I also want to acknowledge that it can feel really awkward to talk about money, especially in a church setting. And it also can be very hurtful. So my hope is that we can sort of carefully and sensitively forge forward together to talk about things that are really real and that impact us on a daily basis. So we're going to first start with looking at our text, which is in James chapter 2. Thank you. We're going to be in 1 through 13 if you want to read along. So this says, my brothers and sisters, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And some translations will say partiality. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves, and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brothers, do, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you, and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So when I read this, this could be a really short sermon. It seems pretty obvious to me to read this text and say, great, don't show partiality, treat all people equally, regardless of wealth, which can be extrapolated to gender, status, power, race, ethnicity, etc. And we could all nod our heads and probably even congratulate ourselves and say, yep, that's why we go to Kindred. We are an inclusive church. All are welcome. All are loved. All are treated equally. Nailed it. And then we'll go have some donuts. <laughs> but if this is so obvious, then why does James write it? Why does he give it priority? in his letter. Uh, so I think this is actually an opportunity for some uncomfortable self-reflection. So before I share my uncomfortable self-reflections, what are your reactions to reading this text? Anything that it brings up for you? So it gives you a desire to want to check yourself. Am I showing partiality? So we naturally gravitate towards those who have similarities to us in belief, ideology, stance, etc. And yeah, echo chambers, we know this is a, a fact of our life, right? And so um, James is talking against that. That's hard to hear, though, because we're right. <laughs> we want to be around other right people, right? <laughs> 
So you don't feel like this is targeted towards you, like, yes, yes, James, mm -hmm, tell them. Yes, tell those people what they need to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so your partiality might not be based on wealth, but you might have partiality or judgment towards someone who doesn't also treat people with equality and kindness. So then can continue to find, ah, dang it, I also transgressed the law in that sense. Loving my neighbor as myself is harder when we don't agree with their ideologies and the way that they live. To remind ourselves about this, so James is writing to the church of Christ followers in Jerusalem and surrounding areas, and we believe that most of them were probably the poor and the persecuted. That's probably the majority of who he's talking to, and he specifically mentions in this text, they're oppressed, they're dragged into court, they're ridiculed by the rich and the powerful. So most of his audience are not necessarily the rich and powerful, but later in the letter, which we'll hear about, he does give direct and pretty scathing instructions to the rich. So that makes me presume that there are rich and powerful people that are part of this church. So I think that this church does have a mixture of people from different socioeconomic strata and consequently power and privilege. I'm imagining, okay, this gathering, Christ followers, they're all there. Most of them are poor and oppressed and in walks this wealthy dude clothed in Gucci and gold rings. Um, apparently gold rings was really a status symbol in that time. And there were even rent a ring shops. You know, the way that we might want to rent a nice car for an event, you could go rent a ring to kind of appear wealthier than you were. And so of course they're like, can I get you anything to drink? sir, come in and have a seat. Like this is first class treatment that he gets. Yeah. Which, you know, the rich get more and the poor get less. That's part of how our world works. And then in walks a poor man, although we probably in today's language wouldn't call him that maybe a person experiencing poorness. And so this person is dismissed and put in the cheap seats. So yeah. Okay. That all makes sense to us, but the poor man isn't turned away. He's not shunned. He's not told you're not welcome here. So that gathering could maybe congratulate themselves. Like, see, we do welcome all people. It's not like we stood at the door and said, you can't be with us, but he wasn't treated equally. And we know that there wasn't actually equality in how they were treated. And that's one of those self-checks for me. Like just because I say all are welcome and just because I make a place, is that really in my heart the same that I'm treating people without partiality? Because they weren't, even though they didn't overtly turn him away or say, we don't want to be near him. But he really wasn't given that place of honor. And the rich man was given a place of honor, whether or not he's an honorable man. There's just this equating of wealth with worth. That brings up questions for me. Like, for example, why why is this rich guy dressing up to come to a gathering of mostly people that he probably has oppressed? Like maybe he's their landowner. Maybe he has oppressed those exact people in the church, but he's still putting on the gold rings and the fancy robe. Why is he doing that? Is it maybe because he still wants to perpetuate the power and the privilege that his wealth affords him? He's used to that and being treated in a certain way. And so maybe he wants to continue to be treated in that way. And then my next question is, why does it work? This is a gathering of people who know that Jesus purposely spent his time with the poor and the oppressed, with the widow, with the orphan, with the children, with the women, with the foreigners. Yet they're just falling right into mirroring what society does, perpetuating that system of inequality, rich get richer and more privileged, poor get more oppressed. And so why are the rich and the poor treated the same inside the church as they are in society instead of actually being treated the same? Maybe these Christians, just like me, just like us, perceive they can get something from the wealthy man. Maybe that proximity to power and privilege also affords some power and privilege. And that's just the way the world works. And so sometimes that's still how things are even inside the church, even though we want to be different. So for me, I know I myself, I'm not that different to these people. Um, even though we have read these words and we follow this Jesus, we know that in his one opportunity to come to earth and wrap himself in humanity, he purposely chose to be poor. He chose to a life of poverty without much means. He chose to spend his time with the poor and the not privileged. I know that. I, I also know that when I read the Bible, I see these 
these fundamentals of justice and love and equality, inclusivity and dignity for all. Those are bedrocks of our faith and bedrocks of our church as well, of why we've gathered together. And even though we profess to believe this, and we really do, I do believe in equality and loving my neighbor as myself, but still, it's impossible for me to divorce my thoughts and my actions regarding money and power from the pervasive societal messaging and the, just the realities of money and the systems of power that we are literally born into and experience. It's really hard to take off that lens because we've been bathed in it. Like every day since we became conscious, we've been getting these unconscious messages about money and wealth and power and systems of power. And the message is that money is power and wealth is position. And those who have more are somehow better than those who have less. Even if we wouldn't say that out loud, we wouldn't consciously agree with it. At least for me, that is the unconscious message. And and there is some reality to that in the broken world that we live in, right? But this hierarchical thinking, which we reflected on a little bit when we were looking at the paintings, for me, it is very hard to be rid of that when I'm just approaching the world and how I act. So then that takes me back to that original question. Why does James have to write this seemingly obvious instruction? Well, it's because just like we said, none of us are immune to prejudice, partiality, or favoritism, particularly when it comes to wealth and privilege, but also you can extrapolate that because of course that has repercussions and implications for everything from race, ethnicity, gender, orientation. All of these things are like the building blocks of our unjust system. It's really hard for us to be immune to those prejudices and partialities. In my work, and probably a lot of you too, we do a lot of unconscious bias training now. We're much more aware of how these unconscious messages affect our actions and our behaviors, even when we don't want them to, even when it's not what we would profess to believe. So part of why I wanted to teach on this passage today is because it really resonates with me. And these words reflect one of my most core and fundamental values, something we're trying to teach to our children and make a bedrock of our family about equality and how we treat other people and also understanding systems of injustice and wealth that we benefit from unfairly. So when I read this, I'm like, yes, amen. We love all equally. We don't show partiality. We want to break down these systems of oppression and injustice. But then when I'm like really honest about my reflections, I'm like so far from actually achieving that. And I just can't quite attain to this value. And I need to hear these words from James to remind me of that. I want to live this way so badly, but I could tell you really shameful stories of my own bias that I don't want to share because I don't want it recorded and I don't want the world to know or the internet to know the things I'm ashamed of, of of my own perspectives that do not line up with this passage and, and how I really want to live. You know, there's also something inherent in this. And when we talk about money, about giving, right? And so when we think about these systems of injustice, the only way to write those systems of injustice is for those who have to have less and for those who have less to have more. And so that requires those who have to give. And so for me, when I think about money, that's not a too hard a thing for me to say, yeah, I'm willing to give some of my money to other people. But when it comes to something like safety, where if you ask me to sacrifice some of the immense safety that my family has in order for another family to have a little more safety, that's a pretty hard no for me, if I'm totally honest. That's me wanting to keep for my own self at the expense of someone else. And so that's just some really honest and kind of embarrassing <laughs> reflections on my part. But but I think that's what this word is for, right? Is to help us see where we fall short. Um, and isn't that really our entire life as Christians, right? There's this broken world that we live in. In We have to live in that world. We have to exist in that world. We have to have money to exist. We all want to have more money. Maybe not all, but most of us. And we're trying to, to 
secure ourselves and get the best that we can while we live here in this broken world. And usually that comes at the cost of others. We don't like to think about that, but it does. Then we have Jesus who offers us this different and better way to escape the realities of this broken world. And we want to try to live according to this, but it's actually totally impossible to fully achieve this while we still live in the realities of this broken world. But there's this duality to our lives as Christians and this tension that I read here in this passage and in much of the Bible. And somehow we still want to strive for heaven on earth knowing that we're never going to fully attain it. So, you know, that's depressing. (laughs) I don't want it to stop us. I don't want it to stop me from trying, even as I acknowledge the real difficulty of actually attaining to these standards and to this life that Jesus has exampled for us. So from this about privilege and partiality, I do want to pivot a little to talk specifically about money, which I said we were going to, and we've kind of talked about, but again, with some caveats, talking about money in church, I know can be painful and may have some painful connotations for people. I've heard money talked about a couple of different ways in church, but what does that bring up for you when I say, let's talk about money in church? How does that make you feel or what does it make you think about? Make you uncomfortable or not really? That's specifically about the church and its utilization of money and when you give money to the church, right? What else comes up for people? These are the things you're not supposed to talk about, right? On first date or in polite company. (laughs) That's why I wanted to talk about it. That's really interesting. Thinking of individuals giving their all for God, but is the church giving their all for the sake of those people in return, be it money resources. So this is about how the church utilizes the money. So I would summarize that as one message I heard, which is give to us as a message I hear. What about for you personally about money when when you hear church talking about it? Is it a, don't talk to me about money? Is it a, yeah, let's have that conversation? Is it a, I like to think about giving? I don't, what does it mean personally? if we think about money and church. So now it still brings up feelings of shame in a different church context if we talk about money or giving. Is that fading away or... It's hard, right? So everything everyone said so far is pretty negative, right? It's not like I have good feelings when the church starts talking about money. (laughs) There's no giving campaign today. That is why we're talking about this. We're not talking about giving. Yeah, nope, no baited switch. That's purposely why I'm like, I think I'm going to go there. One of my favorite verses is when David um, dedicates the temple, which is glorious and full of riches that people gave. But what he says is, all this abundance is from your hands and all is yours. And that reflects that open-handed posture. Everything I have comes from you. It all belongs to you. I have also found great joy and freedom in trying to live that way. Again, part of why I wanted to just start this conversation today is because I hope we will be able to all walk away saying we had a different kind of conversation about money in church today that wasn't give to us or give to someone else. That also wasn't money is bad or money is good. But just thinking about how our cultural and lived experience is a lens through which we view wealth and examining how that's different from what the Bible and Jesus teach us. My other disclaimer, easy for me to say, I am speaking from a place of no financial need. And that's even awkward for me to stand up here and say that. And that's watering it down if I say it that way. But we don't talk about that in church. We don't say that kind of thing because I think at least for me, there's this societal messaging that wealth is equated to worth. So if I say, I don't have any financial needs right now. Does that mean I'm claiming that I'm better or more worthy than someone? Of course not. I don't ever want it to be that way. But we have this awkwardness around money that we bring into church with us because there's so much laid into that for us of of worth and these systems of injustice and it's all perpetuated. It's really hard to take those lenses off when we're even in a gathering amongst friends, right? So I want to be careful and I hope that what I say doesn't sound insensitive and I acknowledge that I, again, am coming from a place of privilege when I say all of these things. But there 
there's a passage in Philippians that has really helped to inform me and, and some of my thinking about um, want or need. In Philippians, Paul, who lived in r- radically different circumstances in his life, where right? he went from being in the powerful, um, religious, powerful class and having presumably wealth to, you know, making a tents for a living and having nothing and being in prison. So he really ran the gamut in terms of his experience with wealth or lack thereof. And what he says is, I know how to get along with humble means. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And I also know how to live in prosperity. And then I'm like, isn't that easy to live in prosperity? In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The nuance I see here is that Paul says he has to learn something even in prosperity. I think it's easy for me to resonate with like, okay, I've learned the secrets to surviving when I don't have much. And certainly there have been times in my life when I didn't have as much as I have now. But to say that there's like a secret to surviving when I have plenty feels really strange and counter to my cultural understanding because my cultural understanding is when I reach X goal, get that better paying job, get that bonus, get that thing, that solves the current problem. And there is some reality to that. Like money does solve certain problems, but it doesn't solve the ultimate problem, which we all know. But I just love that Paul said, I have to learn how to live in prosperity, that there's something about our relationship to money and wealth and giving and understanding both prosperity and want that needs to be learned. Whether we're looking at the bank account saying, how are we going to do this? Or whether we're wrestling with, I want to hold on to what I have. Part of what we're learning is that open-handedness, like it all comes from you and it all belongs to you. So perhaps there's a way that I can adjust some of my learned understanding about wealth and worth and try to line up more with what I'm reading here. And what I read here is that there's still something for me to learn about how to approach this that can be closer to how I see Jesus doing it. And I am very far from it, I admit, but I want to get closer to this. And in order for us to dismantle some of these systems that perpetuate these injustices and inequalities, there is that piece of being willing to give up what I have, be it safety, finance, time, resource, etc. And that is a really hard ask, if I'm honest, even though all of me is like, yes, break it down. And then you get to like, and would you be willing to have your kids be less safe when they go outside in your street? And I'm like, let's just slow your roll and let's, you know, pause that there. And again, it's not wrong to want safety and to desire any of those things. We all want it, but recognizing how broken our system is and my place in it, I think is a good step to reorganizing some of how I think about this because I've just learned from society all my life how to think about it in one way. To close here, thank you for being willing to tread with me through uncomfortable waters. I hope, and I know that's the kind of church that we want to have where we can talk about different things, even if they're uncomfortable, even if we're not all coming from the same place on them. But this is a place for us to examine ourselves, examine the Bible, and hopefully learn together in a way because we want to be more like heaven on earth than what I currently am. And and James is a very practical book that's trying to help us understand here's how you can live out what Jesus taught us. So what I'm considering today for all of us is we live in this world that overvalues and inappropriately emphasizes wealth and money. And these instructions he gives us seem really simple, like don't think rich people are better. Easy. But is it really? Is there not more to it for us all to think about today? So nobody is asking you to give anything today. Not to me, not to anyone else, not to the church, but I hope that this will be a conversation that we can all take and continually be asking God, how can my heart be aligned with you in this area that impacts my every, every, everyday life? We hope you enjoyed what you just heard. 
Kindred Church is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you find value in the ministry of Kindred Church and would like to contribute to our efforts, visit kindredchurchreno.com to donate. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email kindredchurchreno at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.